Welcome back to Takes by the Lake. We're jumping in, jumping in right away this week with our friend Chris Fedor. Later in this show, we have a 45-minute interview with the best dodgeball player in Ohio. And I also want to get to the ridiculous names that you people use to order food. But for now, here on Takes by the Lake, Doug Maurice of Cleveland.com, joined by Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com. The Indians just beat the Red Sox on a Carlos Santana walk-off home run on Monday night. But Fedor, before we get to the Indians and the Browns, I want to ask you, when you go to a restaurant like one of these taco or burger restaurants where you fill out a sheet mm-hmm. for your order – do you use – you know what I'm talking about, right? You fill in like the yep, little circles. Of course. Do you use your real name or do you use a fake name? No, I always use my real name. Well, that's people the, use fake names? Well, you're Chris Fedor, so people would know if you used a fake name. I just like to – I always use uh, Warren. Warren is my oh go-to. My and and we'll get into this later, but I asked people like what fake names they use, and some people said like, oh, I use like a random Indians outfielder or something. And then I said, send me your fake names, and they're all dirty. They're just disgusting. It's just the disgusting people I interact with on Twitter. Doug, why doesn't it surprise me that you would use a fake name when you do these ordering things? It, my children hate it. I'm so embarrassing <laughs> to them. But it's always like it's taco. Like, uh, yeah. It's like order up for Lester. Is there a Lester in here? Anybody yeah. named Lester? I'm Lester. Yeah, no, I, I love it. It's, it's to- I thought it. I thought everybody did it. I didn't realize that people use their real names. Um, all right, so so I wanted to talk to you, and I want to get into the Cavs schedule real briefly because that came out today. But um, I, I put this in my uh, my Sunday column this week. The Browns and the Indians have not both won the division or finish first place in the thing they're in since 1954, since before there were divisions. So since Mm -hmm. the NFL and the major league baseball went to divisions, the Browns and Indians have never both finished first the same year. I think they're going to both finish first this year. Who do you think at this point is more likely? Is it the Indians who now currently have a half game lead in the central, but we know the twins are a real team, or is it the Browns who are everyone's off season darling? Which team is more likely to win its division, Fedor? Wow. So this is so hard and I think it's so layered too, because when it comes to the Indians, I think right now as they stand, Doug, they're a better team than the twins. They've got a better starting rotation, and even though it's been iffy lately, I still think the Indians have a better bullpen. Um, it surprised me that the Twins didn't go out and do more to add to their roster at the trade deadline. Yep. They have a glaring need for a starting pitcher. They needed more than just two bullpen arms, or I guess one and a half, if you want to consider Sam Dyson a bullpen arm. Um, so the fact that they opened the door and brought the Indians closer, that was really, really surprising to me. Not to mention the Twins are a completely different team this year without Byron Buxton. He's one of their most important players. He's probably not going to be healthy until the end of August. They're under 500 in about 40 games without him. So as it stands right now, the Indians lineup is pretty close to the Twins too. It's not the same as the uh, the Twins. It's probably not as powerful as the Twins. But because of the addition of Puig and the addition of Reyes and the losses that the Twins have suffered with injuries, like the Indians are close enough from an everyday lineup standpoint, too. 
at the same time, Minnesota has the easiest schedule remaining in all of baseball. In all of baseball, they get the uh, Tigers, White Sox, and Royals 26 times in the final 40-plus games. Um, They don't have to play seven on the road against the two New York teams. So that's an advantage that the Twins have. And when we're talking about such a tight race between two teams, Doug, that could be the difference. Again, I think the Indians are the better team, but the opportunity that the Twins have in front of them, the way that the Indians close the gap on Minnesota is by taking advantage of the same schedule that the Twins have to finish the year. So that would make me a little bit nervous. And when it comes to the Browns, look, I mean, they don't know how to win. I think it's very, very difficult in the NFL, Doug, to go from a good team to a great team. I think it's a lot easier to go from a bad team to a good team and fly under the radar, not have expectations, not have pressure. So if you had to put me on the spot, I'll lean towards the Indians because they've been there, done that. The Browns have not. I I do think I... I'm not surprised that the Indians came back like this and have made this a race in the Central again. The the Twins, I think, in the offseason did a lot of good things, but they also Mm -hmm. had a lot of guys in the first half of the year, first third of the year, who were having career years, you know, or or, or, were outperforming their expectations. And that uh, C.J. Cron and Jake Odorizzi and some of these guys, you you sort of figured um, they would come back to earth. Martin, they'd come back to earth a little bit. And again, the Indians had some guys – who had done it before, who weren't doing it, led by Jose Ramirez. So I agree the schedule is the schedule, and nobody can argue your point on that. I do think it's possible that when Jose Ramirez is back to being Jose Ramirez, if Corey Kluber comes back and can be a valuable contributor in this rotation again, I just think Mm -hmm. it's possible the Indians get back to being like, oh, yeah, the Indians, remember them? Remember when they won 22 games in a row or whatever it was? Remember when they looked like they could have an argument as the best team in the American League the past couple right. of years? I, I think that's out there and that while the schedule is what you said is obviously true, I think if they are their true selves and Puig helps and Reyes helps and, you know, Shane Bieber is looking like a Cy Young candidate. I just think there's still mm-hmm. a ceiling that's out there for them um, that I, I still would lean toward them at the moment. Do you – I think Kluber, and I know we know Kluber is going to start in Akron on Tuesday night. I am absolutely 100% expecting that Corey Kluber is coming back as old Corey Kluber and that mm. this, the seven games that he showed the start of this year – I think the rest, it's like a, it's not an elbow or a shoulder or a, a pitching injury. Right. It's a fluke thing. A ball hits your arm. Is that unreasonable? Do you think that that I just fully have that expectation that, that I don't think the beginning of this season was the beginning of the end of Corey Kluber. Where do you stand on what you are expecting or what you think the Indians should expect on Kluber rest of the year? Yeah, I just think it's so hard for a guy to miss that much time and then go right back into the fire in the middle of the pennant race um, with so much pressure and so many expectations and, like, be the guy that we're used to seeing. You know what I mean? I, I just think that's a lot to ask of him. Is he capable? Sure, because his stuff is dynamite. And for, what, a three-year stretch or whatever the case was, he was one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. Um, but I think they mentioned it a little bit on the broadcast tonight against the Red Sox. He just didn't have the same command in the first few games of the regular season. Um, And that's what made him what he was 
Um, so I just think the good thing with this, Doug, they don't need him to be Corey Kluber the ace because yeah. of the way that Shane Bieber has been able to pitch and because Mike Clevenger has been so dominant at times as well. Um, so that's going to help a little bit. And I think the other thing that's going to help is that this lineup, as you mentioned, has been bolstered. And it's not just the additions that they made. It's almost as if they made a third addition to their everyday lineup, getting MVP version of Jose Ramirez back. So that's going to help them a lot. Carlos Santana is playing extremely well also. So um, because of those things, and because you don't need Corey Kluber the ace, I think what the Indians need from him, he's going to be able to provide. I just don't think it's going to be dominant front of the rotation, Corey Kluber. I think, yeah, if he's third starter, Corey Kluber, behind Bieber and Clevenger, I think I think that might be enough. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm su- I could not be more curious about it. Um, I made a comparison a couple times this year that Justin Verlander had an injury in the middle of his career um, after he had like his worst season in Detroit. And he came yep. back and then became, again, this Justin Verlander, like in his mid-30s, he got a break. And then he came back as this. And it's just the idea of, you know, people are thinking Brad Hand looks worn down right now. Well, they've been leaning on Brad Hand for the last couple weeks. They leaned on Corey Kluber for five years. Corey Kluber (laughs) dragged them by himself to the 10th inning of the seventh game of the World Series. So he had carried such a load. I just you would never break a bone in his body and say, hey, we we need you to rest. We're going to break your arm. But I think right. there, it, it could come out the other side that it ends up being something uh, really good for them. So, uh, all right. So I wanted I wanted to cover the Indians. People are very – I think it's going to be very interesting September, which is another wonderful thing for baseball fans in Cleveland. Do you yeah, – It's going to be so much fun. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, this is I – mean, it, like, it's amazing. This is – like baseball in Cleveland, you cannot take this stretch for granted what the last four right. years have been. It's incredible for the fans. And them dominating the AL Central, that was a lot of fun, too. But there's nothing to me like a pennant race when these games matter. I mean, it's August. There's still, what, six weeks left of Major League Baseball? Um, The Indians and the Twins are probably going to go back and forth, back and forth when it comes to the standings. And that's so awesome because you can just feel the environment in all of these games that the Indians have played lately. It does feel like the playoffs have already started because that's how meaningful these things are. And it's going to be good because if the Indians, the the Twins or the Indians are going to be one of the wild cards. Now, you don't want to be the wild card. You don't want your season to come down to one game, and you don't want the Astros in the division series if you win the wild card. Um, So, but you're not exactly dead. So it's going to be like, it's really important. You really want to win the division, but at least these teams are both going to be around at least for a blip uh, in October. Okay, the Browns. Do you consider the Browns the favorite in the division? I don't, personally. Um, I think they're the most talented team. But um, I I also think they're a team that has a bunch of questions. Um, And I give the benefit of the doubt, Doug. This is just the way that I'm wired and the way that I've always been wired. I give the benefit of the doubt to teams that have done it before. And I remember um, when I was covering the Cavs, when LeBron came back, um, there was a group that was really, really talented. They did not know how to win. They didn't know how to win. They didn't know what it took on a daily basis. They didn't know the habits that they had to develop on a daily basis. Um, LeBron James 
had to spend the entire year teaching those guys how to win and all of the things that are required on a daily basis to be that kind of team. Um, and I feel very similar when it comes to the Browns, except for the fact that they don't have a LeBron James to teach these guys how to win. Maybe their talent is going to allow them to overcome because they are loaded with talent on both sides of the ball. But who on this team, Doug, has really won at a high level and recognizes the sacrifice that it takes and the day-to-day work that it takes? Who's going to instill that winning mentality in all of these guys? I just don't know who that is. So because of that, I would lean towards a team like Pittsburgh or Baltimore that has proven it at the highest level that beat playoff teams last year, that performed well against playoff teams last year. The uh, it, it is interesting that of all the guys they added, like none of those guys have won playoff games either. Odell Beckham right. hasn't, Jarvis Landry hasn't, right. Olivier Vernon hasn't. Like even you know they haven't been in Cleveland going you know one and thirty one. But but these are guys are not are not guys who have been to Super Bowls. Uh, the thing that I would say, Chris, and I've been hanging. You know I'm I'm all all aboard twelve and four. The thing that I've been <laughs> hanging a lot of this on. And I would be curious on your your thoughts on this is just that to me, this is the way the NFL is set up is the the parity is built in. It is designed Mm -hmm. for teams to flip it. Um, The Rams went from putrid to 11 and five to the Super Bowl. Uh, The Bears went from bad and then they get Khalil Mack and they have a young quarterback in Mitch Trubisky and they go 12 and four. Uh, The Raiders Mm -hmm. with with Mack and, and, and Carr flipped their car, flipped it. Quickly, like there are examples. There have been teams. You don't usually go from like two and fourteen to to the playoffs. Um, but the, the the Browns had their in between year. So last year was the in between year, and that there is some some way that you know with the with the rookie quarterback contracts that you win now mm. while you're while you're not paying your franchise quarterback very much money. Yep. It, it is designed to go quickly. I think there are, there are examples. Clearly, there are examples. Some of the teams I mentioned, there are others where it has happened. The Eagles flipped it pretty quickly when they got Carson yep. Wentz. Um, mm-hmm. Does the, is that a compelling argument to you? Because I think you would look at some of those teams and say, well, before they won, they didn't really know how to win either. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and I think the Browns have on their side the thing – the common denominator of all those teams that you brought up, right? With the Rams, it was Jared Goff coming into his own. With the Eagles, it was Carson Wentz playing like an MVP. With the Chiefs, it was Pat Mahomes. With the Bears, it was Mitch Trubisky, who they used the second overall pick on. So, like, that's the piece that you absolutely have to have if you're going to make that leap quicker than a lot of people expect. And the Browns have it with Baker. I don't expect Baker to regress. I think Baker is going to take off. I think Baker is probably going to get himself into the conversation for the MVP this year. Not that he's going to win it for sure, but he's going to be in that conversation. He has all of the tools, Doug, all of the traits that the elite quarterbacks in the league have. Um, So I I think because of him, I don't doubt the Browns. Um, They also have an up-and-coming defense that can put pressure on the quarterback. And that's absolutely what you need as well. I mean, you talk about the Bears. They added Khalil Mack, and that made the difference for them defensively. So, yeah, I think there's absolutely an argument that you can make that tells you that the Browns, like you think, are going to go 12-4, and four, are going to be the best team in the AFC North, are going to go to the playoffs. 
I'm just personally not ready to go there until I actually see it. It's just the way that I always am. The other thing that I'm concerned about, Doug, is that um, Nick Chubb is going to get used to getting a ton of carries. Yeah. And then Kareem Hunt's going to come back, and he's going to want a ton of carries. And Odell Beckham Jr. is used to a ton of targets and a ton of catches. And Jarvis Landry is used to a ton of targets and a ton of catches. Uh, David Griffin, the old GM of the Cavs, always used a term that I found fascinating. It was called role delineation, right? And I think that's something that the Browns are going to have to figure out. It's really easy for these guys to say, oh, yeah, that doesn't bother me. I'll just do whatever it takes to win. It's another thing to put that into practice when what you're used to is taken away from you. And I'm going to be very interested to see how that goes when you have all of these guys that are used to a certain way and it's going to be taken away. Uh, hashtag too many good players. How about that, Chris? That's, <laughs> That's a I've good been, problem to have. I've been on that before. I said, what are the Browns going to do? Like in terms of roster sustaining, in terms of yep. spread the ball around, believe it or not, one of the issues for the Cleveland Browns is they have too many good players. I do think I'm hoping to talk with Urban Meyer here in the next couple of weeks that I think there is an interesting lesson to be learned possibly. And it's happened to a lot of teams. Ohio State in 2015 coming off the national championship ran into that problem, and we sort of joked about it and wondered about it going into that season, and it absolutely was an issue for them. They had Ezekiel Elliott. They had Michael Thomas. They had Jalen Marshall. They had Braxton Miller now as an H-back slot receiver and not a quarterback, and they didn't know what to do. Actually, they overthought it, and they got too much into the idea of, well, let's make sure we spread it around fairly. Let's make sure we have a package for this guy. Let's make sure we give Braxton enough touches rather than just saying, like, what's going to win? What's going to what's going to work best? And I think they overthought it. And the result was the most talented team in the country. They had the best. Michael Thomas is is arguably is in the conversation of the best receiver in the NFL. And Ezekiel Elliott Mm -hmm. is in the conversation of the best running back in the NFL. And they had him on the same team and they couldn't beat Michigan State. And it's because they overthought it and they worried about it too much. And so I will be, you know, Freddie Kitchens is not really in that mode right now. As we get closer to the season, I would be curious to ask him about. And I don't know that he would give an honest answer at at a microphone about (laughs) how do you handle that? Right. Do you try to balance it do you try to keep you know how do you keep everybody happy and I'm sure he'll say hey we got to do whatever we got to do to win but again if you win and Odell has two catches you know right that might that might be a thing right so I think you do have to think about it a little but you can't think about it too much yeah I mean look Doug everybody in the NFL everybody in sports wants to win but a lot of these guys that are used to it a certain way will want to win on their own terms. And I think what's going to make the difference between whether this team um, is, is hype or substance um, is if these guys can find a way um, to put the team in front of themselves in a way that many of them have never been asked to do. Um, so it's, I just think it's a lot easier to say, oh, yeah, we'll just do whatever it takes to win. Okay. I guess we'll wait and find out. I do agree with you. I mean, we've, we've always agreed on this. Belief, belief in Baker Mayfield is there. At the moment, I am less certain of it. But at the moment, I am believing that Freddie Kitchens actually might accidentally 
as the last guy left in the building sitting down the hall who wants the job might be the right guy for this. I, I do think he just he might have the right personality to run this. And then as as far I've given Odell Beckham all kinds of slack because my belief is if any of us had to work with Eli Manning for the past couple of years, he would have <laughs> driven us nuts, too. So I'm just believing that, like, Odell might be all in on, like, a, I'm away from Eli. I'll take Baker. I'm away from the coaches that he's had with the Giants. I just think he was in a very in an almost untenable situation where any smart, high-achieving, creative person would have felt boxed in there by the quarterback, by the coaching, and I just think he might be ready to, like, do whatever it takes, and even that means putting the team before himself. Are you in on that, or are you worried about Odell? No, I'm worried about Odell. I've always been worried about Odell. Um, at the same time, I give him credit because to this point, he's done everything right since becoming a Cleveland Brown, um, and I'll definitely give him the space to improve and to grow and to mature um, and to sacrifice the way that he's going to have to sacrifice. So he's done the right things since coming here. I just think he's the kind of personality that you're always going to have to worry about. Um, I see a lot of qualities in Odell that I saw in Kyrie Irving. Um, and there's a reason that there were people that wondered about Kyrie and his ability to impact winning. And there were reasons why people wondered about Kyrie and if he was too worried about his brand and why some nicknamed him Kyrie Irving. I see those same qualities in Odell. In fact, like some of the comments that he has actually made throughout the course of this offseason were a little bit too me-oriented for my liking. Um, but again, this is a young guy who is in a new environment, um, around a new coaching staff, uh, next to his buddy in Jarvis Landry. I think all of those things could happen, but I'd be lying if I said that I was completely comfortable with him on this team. I will say that if Odell Beckham catches the game-winning touchdown in the Super Bowl and then forces his way out of Cleveland, eh, I'd take it. Oh, eh, I, eh. I think everybody would take it. That's all right. Because you said yeah. Super Bowl in Cleveland. Yeah, eh, I'll take it. All right, let's get let's get to the Cavs quickly. Um, Chris, it's just it's so interesting with the Indians have been a consistent winner that people almost take for granted now. I mean, it's like they, they, got, they got off to a slow start. And everybody was like, oh, what's wrong with the Indians? And I get it. I mean, you hold them to a high standard. You should hold them to a high standard. But it's because, like, winning a division has become assumed. Everybody right. is fired up about the Browns. Where do the Cavs fit into the Cleveland sports landscape? And this is maybe maybe a hard question, or maybe you have the answer right off the top of your head. What year, what season, how far away are we from the Cavs competing again? How far away yeah. are we from people going into a season not looking for the Cavs to grow, but talking about the Cavs being a legitimate contender, at least to be you know, somewhere in the middle of the playoff pack? Right, so I think that's exactly it, Doug. I don't think the Cavs are in a position where people should judge them solely on the win-loss record. They're not ready for that. As an organization, they're not ready for that. They're in the infancy stages of a very difficult task, which is rebuilding a franchise basically from the ground up after losing um, the most impactful player in the entire NBA. Now, they're, they're in a better spot, and they got off to a better start with this rebuild than they did in 2010 when it was just complete and utter disaster, and they had absolutely nothing. 
at least at this point, you know, the Cavs have competent NBA caliber players on this roster. They're not trotting out a starting five of guys who probably didn't belong in any starting five around the NBA. So from that standpoint, they are further along, but they're still not to a point where let's just judge them solely by their wins and losses. Um, It's going to be about growth. Is Colin Sexton going to be um, hampered by the sophomore slump, or is he going to be able to overcome that? Right? Can Kevin Love re-establish um, his value around the NBA and prove that he can stay healthy um, and be a positive influence on a lot of these younger players that are here? Will uh, Darius Garland follow an upward trajectory through the end of the season? Can Dylan Windler prove that as a first-round pick, he's a rotational piece? Can Larry Nance Jr. Um, have something similar to the year that he had this past year where he set career highs in a bunch of different numbers across the board. Those are the things that I think are going to determine whether the season is going to be a success or a failure. Like can John Beeline make the transition smooth from college to the pros? Those are the things that matter most to the Cavs in this particular rebuild. And none of that has to do with the final score in terms of like when Boy, it's so hard because they're going to have to get so many things right. They're going to have to sign the right free agents. They're going to have to make the right trades. They're going to have to draft the right pieces. I would say, Doug, at the earliest, at the earliest, probably the 21 and 22 season, and that might be pushing it. That might be a little bit too generous as it is because, as I said, what they're trying to do is really, really hard. And sometimes teams go into a rebuild – and it takes 10 years for them to actually become competent again. I think that that sounds right to me that they have at least two more years of this where you're not judging them by wins and losses. And then maybe three years from now, you're hoping that you can start judging them on wins and losses. I'll let you go with this one, Chris. And um, maybe again, I, I don't know how difficult this is to answer. They, they got forced, you know, LeBron to, uh, many, to a large degree forced them in to this rebuild did this just have to happen? I am typically all for go for it and fall off a cliff, win when yeah. you can. Like you never know when it's going to come around again to chase the sixth seed in the playoffs. Doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. to me. It's like go big or go home. Um, did, did they do this right? As we now have hindsight on it, is there anything else they could have done to avoid this world in which we're talking about, you, you think about last year and then two more years at least to come, a three-year bottoming out, maybe a four-year bottoming out? Could they have avoided that, or was this just what was going to happen if LeBron was going to leave? Yeah, Doug, I don't think they could have avoided it because, one, they were in salary cap hell, even though LeBron left, because of all the win-now moves that they made to compete for a championship. That's the price of doing business when you have a guy like LeBron. And I think everybody would have said we'd do it all over the same way. We'd give the big contracts that we gave out. We'd trade the first-round picks for the win-now players that we traded. But because they did that, there was a ripple effect, and they were in salary cap hell. And they had absolutely no assets to either use for themselves or to trade in blockbuster deals. So the two avenues, if you wanted to quote-unquote shortcut it, they weren't available. Trades weren't there, and the salary wasn't there to go out and spend in free agency. So this is what they had to do. Um, And a big thing that they did this past year, Doug, beyond the fact of developing their young guys, is that they added more assets. 
they added future picks in trades for guys that have no future on this roster. And they're going to try and do that again this year because I think everybody in the organization would admit they're still in asset accumulation mode. And that doesn't mean that you have to use all these assets and you have to draft all these young players. But the Cavs theoretically could be positioned if that next disgruntled star says, I want out of a place. The way that you get that guy is with draft picks and young players. So that could potentially speed up this if that disgruntled star becomes available and the Cavs want to go that direction. But you need financial flexibility. You need assets. You need all that stuff if you want to try and rebuild this thing the right way. Um, And the good news is, moving forward, the Cavs are going to have those things. They just didn't have it when they needed to try and speed this up if that's what you wanted them to do. So listen, I got I got the best dodgeball player in Ohio coming up next. Is is that a good radio oh, that's get? Awesome. Is that a good get? You think? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I think everybody is into dodgeball. Who is it? Yeah. Because they had ESPN, the Ocho. They had yeah. the movie. Sure, I'd love to hear what yeah. he has to say and how you actually become a great dodgeball player. Because how do you practice that? You need a bunch of people to play at once, right? To hone your craft. Well, that makes me very excited because I thought I was going to interview him for 15 minutes and we talked for 45 minutes. So if you are interested <laughs> in how to become a dodgeball player, strap in because that's coming up next on the rest of this podcast. Uh, Chris Fedor, always great to talk to you. Um, you got to, now you, you worked, uh, 291 straight days during <laughs> basketball season. Are you still getting a little time here? I am getting a little bit of time. I was actually talking to somebody about this the other day. It was so weird when the season ended in April as opposed to June. So for the first two months of my off time, I was kind of like, should I be working? Is there something that I should be writing at this point in time? Am I supposed to be doing something? What am I going to do with this free time? Uh, But I have uh, certainly found a way to stay occupied and enjoy my time off. So it's been a good summer so far. All right, Chris Fudor, you did a fantastic job uh, on the Cavs this season, expecting another great season ahead from you, even if maybe not from the Cavs. So thank you for uh, for joining us here on Takes by the Lake, and we'll have you back soon. You got it, my man, anytime. Thanks, Chris. All right, so thanks to Fedor for that. Uh, before we get to our interview with the best dodgeball player in Ohio, that was sparked uh, by it being like the dodgeball day on ESPN last week because of the Ocho, right, because of the Ocho. So I went out to find the best dodgeball player in Ohio, and we got him. Um, I want to go over something. I think I think if I remember correctly, I may not have played as much. Uh, uh, I like to call it uh, Earl Bruce for Ohio State called it this one time. Can I say grab ass on a on a podcast? I didn't. I I do more of this on Buckeye Talk, and so if you aren't used to me on Buckeye Talk. Um, the other week when Jake Burns was on, I commented on how tan his feet were. And I think some people were like, why are you commenting on tan feet? This is a sports podcast. But I, I like to do a little, uh, little some, you know, other stuff sometimes. And so I, I just wanted to cover this because um, I said I would. The, I, I asked this question the other day, and I mentioned it to Fedor. You guys, when you go to the restaurants, right, you go to the restaurants and uh, you order the food and you have to put your name down, right? And so I said – you know, on the sheet, like at a taco place or a make-your-own-burger place, I put this this question on Twitter. When you eat at one of those restaurants where you write your order on a sheet and hand it to the server, do you write your real name on the order or a fake name? Um, real name got 50% of the vote. 
Fake name got 22% of the vote. And also an option was what? And that got 28% for people who have not eaten in a restaurant like that. But then people were saying like what they what they use. And someone said, um, said, I have a friend who uses Elvis, the king of rock and roll. At any place where they say your name when the order is ready, they always say it. And then um, that was uh, Renly. Renly Jenk said that. And then Jeremy at JSAB4807 said, I use a variety of super random Cleveland athletes past and present every time I go to Barrio. It probably makes no difference, but I like to think they make the tacos a little better than normal when they think they're for J.J. Hickson or Cindric Steptoe. So, like, I thought that was cool. So then I thought, I am going to ask people what are their fake names. Because I thought, oh, I'm going to get a collection of random Cleveland athletes. And let me tell you, that is not the collection that I got. I got a collection of the dirtiest ways to put syllables together that don't look that way when you write them, but when you say them, they sure do sound that way um, that you could ever ask for. And so I was actually a little disappointed that it was not um, less inspiring, that it was not more inspiring, right? That it was not more creative and more inspiring. It was just a lot of different ways to like say random parts of your body. And and so like that, I got 123... <laughs> No one ever, I don't get 123 responses to anything. Um, I, I mean, just go on my list. So you can find the tweet. I put it out on August 9th. If you want to read them, I, I, I tweeted at Doug Lemeris. That's my Twitter handle, L-E-S-M-E-R-I-S-E-S. -E -E I tweeted, if you consistently use a fake name or a certain subset of fake names for restaurant orders or at Starbucks or whatever, please submit them here and we'll discuss the best, the best ones on the next Takes by the Lake. Already have some great ones. Just go through the list. It's awful. And then, and uh, I, and some of them I'm not sure if I'm missing. I can't even say some of them because I'm afraid that I don't get it and I'm going to say something that's going to get me fired. Um, the AP college football writer said, I use Doug Maurice when I'm in the Columbus area. It doesn't seem to be helping with the quality and quickness of service. Uh, Chester Copperpot is one. Um, when I was in college, my roommates and all, all had rapper names. First initial plus middle name. I still use it from time to time. Uh, my friend Jeff said he uses Han Solo. Uh, someone did, um, someone said their name is Hugh Jackson did nothing wrong. Is this, Next time you go order tacos on a sheet, put your name down as Hugh Jackson did nothing wrong um, and see how that goes. Um, let's see. I used to work at a downtown hotel in the 90s that a couple of Major League Baseball teams stayed at. Jose Canseco's check-in name was Johnny Bag of Donuts. That's good. Uh, Turd Ferguson, which is like, uh, right, is that a Will Ferrell thing? Someone says use Bueller, then walk out. So you get the Bueller, Bueller. And then the one right after that, there's no way I can say it. Um, I just, there's some Seinfeld references in here. Chris Morris says Donner. Donner, party of 12, start high and then keep dropping the number while you wait, like the Donner party. That's good. B Baker Mayfield's burner is the Twitter name, at DangerousBM6. Ugh, I can't even say the Twitter name. I can't even say your Twitter name, much less your dirty answer. Nick Terry says Spartacus. Always interesting to see how many jump up and say, I am Spartacus. Um, so anyway, Clark Griswold... Um, I just, I, like, j, j, I can't, 
Abe Froman. Oh, someone said so. Then there was a, a guy who worked in a Starbucks who said that like he get they do get him a lot actually, and that it's um, mostly dirty stuff. And so um, someone said their dad used Fred Flintstone. Um, that it's usually dirty stuff, and if it's the dirty stuff, they kind of just uh, crispy chicken. Paul Ossenmacher, that's a good one. Who doesn't want to write down a taco order and then say, what's your name? My name is Paul Ossenmacher. That I'm in favor of. Um, Johnny Bench, Michael Scott, uh, Captain Awesome, Patch Adams. Um, I'm going to say I'm going to say something dirty by accident. Jarrett Wright, that's a good one. Or Brutus, if I'm anywhere outside of Ohio. Brock Lee, see, that's cute. That's not dirty. Um... So someone says, if I am at a place with a group and they're going to yell each person's name out, I try to loudly say my name is the name of the person next in line. It usually flusters the next person. Oh, yeah. Like you you, you mess with – yeah, I get it. You mess with the person. Ron Mexico, there's one I can't read. Stiltskin, that's a good one. JT Barrett. Um, anyway, all right. So my – someone said they had, a, they had an answer of uh, – Anyway, you work. I'm sure Charles U. Farley. I, I'm sure when you work in it, you get you get tired of it. Um, so usually the Starbucks guy said that uh, if it's creative, they'll yell it out, and if it's dirty, uh, it's usually dirty. They don't do it. So anyway, that was my that was my attempt to inject some levity um, into takes by the lake, and you just you just ruined it. You just made it nasty. So. Thanks for that. Um, all right, this is not nasty. This is dodgeball. This is the best dodgeball player in Ohio. I don't know if you ever thought to yourself, I wish I could hear a 45-minute conversation about dodgeball. But if you have ever thought that, this is your lucky day. Um, get ready for this. I thought it was fun. If you just want to hear about the Indians and the Cavs and the Browns and uh, dirty uh, taco order names, then you can stop right now. Um, if you want to hear about what it's like to randomly become like a dodgeball player for money and be a dude from Twinsburg who does it and all the different kinds of dodgeballs and uh, what that world is like, I don't know, right? Something new. Okay, so um, we'll do it now. We'll do it now. And uh, I'm just so distracted by all the dirty names I'm still thinking of. All right, dodgeball talk next on Takes by the Lake. We are excited to be joined by Ohio's best dodgeball player. I'm not even sure if that's true, but I'm going to ask him if that's true. It's Matt Levine from Twinsburg, and thank you for coming on Takes by the Lake. Thanks for having me, Doug. Glad to be here. Are you Ohio's best dodgeball player? I think it's very subjective. Um, I would say I'm one of the best, but there's, you know, obviously there's a lot of talented people in Ohio, so I like to leave that for uh, everyone else to decide. I saw a list somewhere when I was researching you on the internet of like the top 50 dodgeball players. Are there like dodgeball rankings or anything, official rankings, or is it all subjective? Uh, yeah, uh, no, yeah. Uh, so there are, uh, it is, it is pretty subjective, but there is actually, there's a little, there's an organization, uh, you probably was in a dodgeball tribune is that what you were looking at. I think that sounds right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So they, uh, so yeah, they actually published a couple articles um, kind of throughout the year, um, throughout the year about dodgeball, usually based on different ball types, because in dodgeball, there are a lot of different uh, styles that you can play. But um, yes, they do have, uh, they have a, they have a little ranking system and it's actually voted on by the players. 
So kind of, so some of the top players in the nation, they'll, you know, they'll submit their list and, uh, you know, all the answers are compiled and then uh, they uh, compute rankings off of that. So I guess technically, if you look at, if you do look at that list, um, I'm pretty sure nobody from Ohio was ahead of me, but that's, again, that's, that's not exactly, you know, that's, that's just, that's from last year. So who knows? But you're like, so where are we talking nationally though? Aren't you like one of the 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 best players in the country? Oh uh, yeah, I think I think I was in the top thirty uh, for last year, and this is actually um, for me personally. This is this is really my first year of really doing everything uh, for dodgeball. Um, if you want, I can I can kind of go back to kind of where where uh, this whole journey started. If you want well, to kind of learn some of that. Yeah, let's 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 go backwards, but let's start <laughs> first with why we're having this conversation. So of course, um, August eighth was uh, the day that ESPN two. Uh, became the Ocho from the movie Dodgeball. And is that like a Dodgeball national holiday now? Because the Dodgeball, the movie, has been around for a long time. And I know ESPN, they've been doing this for a while, right? Is that a big day for you guys? I would say it's a pretty big day. Um, historically, at least over the past couple of years, um, August 8th is, you know, like you said, it's the Ocho Day. So they have, they have a couple of different, actually, I'm pretty sure it's all day long. Uh, they show a couple different programs um, based off of, Usually, it's, usually it's different sports that don't really get too much exposure or don't get too much uh, too much time on TV. Um, so it's really a good opportunity to expose uh, you know expose new sports to the world or expose different events that are going on uh, throughout the world. So I know historically um, in the last couple of years uh, the Ultimate Dodgeball Championship, which uh, I can get into that as well at some point, uh, that was actually on the Ocho. I want to say each of the last probably probably each of the last three years honestly, uh, but that's it's usually been that. But this year. Um, you know, just a couple of days ago, it was the, uh, the Continental Cup, which okay. uh, so I, we're, that was very cool to be, uh, to be on the Ocho for that. Okay. I, Matt, I thought maybe we would do like a 15-minute interview, and already I feel like we're going to do a three-hour interview because I'm so <laughs> I'm so interested to learn yeah. the ins and outs of the, dodge, the dodgeball life. Let me get a couple of quickies that I think are on the top of my head and maybe our listeners okay. are thinking about before we go back in your history. Do you make, mo- do you make money playing dodgeball? Uh, so if you look at it that way, it depends on how well you do in the tournament. Um, so with obviously, you, if you win or if you come in a certain placing um, at a tournament, that that'll determine whether you make money or not. So there is there are registration fees uh, to get in or to to sign your team up to register your team, um, and then the cash prize is based off of you know obviously it's based off of how many teams are there, and then um, usually the uh, it depends how much it costs to rent the venue uh, to rent the venue out. But there are uh, there are some prizes, so not it's not enough to make a living off of. But there are you know obviously there are some good prizes. Um, so yes, I have I made money off of dodgeball. You make money off dodgeball. Wow, that's very cool. Okay. By the way, how 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 old are you, Matt? I'm uh 24. 24. Okay. So again, before we go back in time, what are the attributes that make a good dodgeball player? Is it accuracy? Is it strength? Is it uh, agility to get out of the way? What, what is it that makes you good at this? So in terms of dodgeball, uh, I would say the biggest thing for uh, probably the most important thing, the three, there are probably three main things if you want to look at physical, um, physically. So number one is throwing. Number two would be catching. And number three is dodging. Um, that's probably also an outsider or from an outside perspective. Uh, but tr- the truth is there are, there are really a lot of other intangible traits that, that go into the game as well. Um, probably the lesser known thing about dodgeball is that 
there are there are a lot of different strategies you can adopt and it's it's nothing like gym class at all like being in middle school and and, uh, and playing in that where it's more so uh it's, you know it's just for fun it's just really you know you're just kind of goofing around messing around stuff like that uh the Oswald that we're involved in is very serious um there's a lot of different there's a very high level of talent a lot of strategy goes into it so um so yeah there obviously the physical gifts do help you know being able to throw fast uh having quick reaction times to uh you know, to make a block, you know, if a ball is thrown to you to try to block a ball or, you know, if a ball is thrown to you, you don't have a ball to catch one. And then also, obviously, athleticism is involved as well. But, you know, some of the other traits that are very good to have, obviously, being smart, um, you know, being uh, knowing, you know, knowing the rules, having the intangibles. Uh, there are kind of, if I kind of get into other things, uh, if you compare it to other sports, uh, there's a lot of different, uh, there are a lot of different videos on YouTube uh, of dodgeball. Okay. And so one of the things that's actually, yeah, actually very common in um, in the leagues that I play in, at least, um, what, watching film or, you know, kind of studying your opponents in advance of playing them or um, just really to try to uh, gain perspective on them and give yourself uh, more of an advantage. Now, that's something that uh, that's done very often, um, you know, in the dodgeball world. You know, you can watch videos on your competition because obviously it helps you a lot more to know who you're playing against to maybe, you know, give you something to expect. Uh, versus just kind of going into a match blind. Uh, so that's obviously, that's something as well that goes into it. And then uh, obviously, you know, dodgeball is a team sport. It's not just, it's not a, really a one-man show. Uh, depending on which ball style you play, for the most part, it is six on six. So obviously, you know, if you have uh, if you have six players that are all that all work very well together, um, you can go a very long way in dodgeball. You know, it's, it's a, like I said, it's a team game. Teamwork is huge. Um, and there's, there's just, there's so, there's honestly so many different traits that, uh, that go into being a, uh, being a good dodgeball player. So I was looking, uh, on, on a website that had all these different, uh, dodgeball teams from around the country that had, uh-huh. were, were based in different cities and had different logos, but I didn't find one in Ohio. Who uh-huh. do you, who do you play for? Or do you, do you have a dodgeball outlet in Ohio or do you go somewhere else to play? Uh, so for me, in my experience, Ohio is not as well versed in dodgeball as I wish it was. Why? Um, Matt, I, Matt, I we, yeah. we are here to change that. That change is starting today. I love to hear that. <laughs> uh, for, for me personally, for the most part, I am, I spent a very, especially, like I said, in the past year, uh, this, like I said, in the past year, this is really me getting, uh, getting fully into all of this, um, you know, fully integrated into the dodgeball world. But for the most part, I, you know, most of the tournaments I play in are not in Ohio. They're usually, you know, they're usually, um, I would say if there's a mecca of dodgeball, it's probably in California, uh, Los Angeles to be more specific. Okay. But uh, there's a very good amount of it out east, you know, Pennsylvania area, New Jersey, New York, uh, all the states over there. Um, I want to say the last tournament I played in in Ohio was probably, probably about two months ago. So not not too long ago, but it is rare. We don't host nearly as many tournaments as uh, as some of the uh, the other states get to. Okay, okay. Where where was the one two months ago? Uh, two months ago was at uh, Cleveland State University. Okay, so where do you do you play like on a basketball court, or what is the normal regulation court that you guys play on? Oh uh, yeah, so the normal court is um, it is typically a basketball court. We usually play in a we'll play on a, at a gym. Usually a, a facility is rented out, and um, depending on again kind of the a little preview of different there are different ball styles as i mentioned um but depending on the uh depending on the ball style the size of the courts will be different or more so the throw lines from how far you can throw away or uh, how far away you can throw at somebody but uh usually at yeah, basketball courts and 
Uh, the main rule is you have to stay within the boundaries. Uh, you have to stay, you know, if you step outside, you're out. Um, okay. Like that. But uh, yeah, for the most part, basketball courts, uh, gym, gym environments. I, I feel like you are begging me to ask about <laughs> ball size because you keep saying, okay. well, there's different ball uh, sizes. And I keep asking you something different. How many different ball sizes are there? Um, let's see. There's so kind of off the top of my head. Um, I would say, I don't know if it's necessarily ball size, more so ball type. Okay. Um, so kind of the material, the material that the ball is made of. Um, there are, I would say there's five, uh, what? five main ones. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Five different oh, yeah. types. And all of, when you have five different types of balls, then that's all like separate tournaments. You're having this kind of ball has a tournament. That kind of ball has a tournament. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't be a very good time to mix these together because that would just, that would really throw things off. Um, so obviously, you know, if you have a tournament, there will be a set ball type. Uh, there will be a set, you know, ball type, ball size, all that. Um, I see you would know that in advance going into it. But uh, like I said, each uh, each different ball type offers a different strategy. They're all a little bit different than one another. Some of them have different rules. Um, but yeah, it's all again, it's all part of a, all part of the strategy, all part of a, all part of the competition. All right, so take us through the balls from, like, the smallest ball to the biggest ball. I guess that smaller one probably, is it like a softball, or is it even smaller than that? Or I guess it must oh, be no, grip. No, no, no. No? No, it's uh, bigger? No, yeah. Uh, yeah, a little bigger than a softball. I think if we – it would be very dangerous to play with a softball size, oh, uh, oh. like a baseball softball. Because <laughs> you could whip it so hard you could really hurt somebody? Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the uh, – um, some of the people that play dodgeball, um, you know, some of these balls are flying you at 70 to 80 miles an hour. What? Um, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> and that, that's what the types that we play with. I couldn't imagine if we played with, uh, with a baseball or softball. It would be a lot faster than that. So none of the balls can you really just necessarily totally grip with one hand? It sort of rests in your palm rather than you being, to wrap, being able to wrap your fingers around it? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, most of them are so kind of I would say the smallest ball type, the most accepted one is uh seven inches in diameter okay. uh, which is yeah mo i mean people don't really no one really has uh, too much trouble gripping that okay um, the two different so the two different materials for the seven inch are foam and then uh foam obviously doesn't doesn't hurt as much versus uh <laughs> some of the other ball types that i'll get into that's like like uh, nerf but, like nerf it's kind of yeah. nerfy mm -hmm. yeah kind of nerfy so it's so it's like uh with the foam ball you can kind of you can kind of press down on it it has a good amount of give um, a lot of people will throw curveballs. Uh, of all the ball types, that's the one that um, is probably the you know you'll see the most see the most movement. You'll see the most uh, like last second curves, uh, you know sinkers, throws that rise, throws that just move. You know people can put a lot of movement on a foam ball. So yeah. um, in the foam ball in the foam ball style, uh, I would say dodging is probably number one. Uh, whereas some of the other types, you know, you could probably you can get away with catching more often because of you know balls that move quite as quick. Or I'm sorry, they don't they don't curve as much uh, in the other types. Okay. Okay. Um, so what, what's the biggest, how, how far up the size does it go? Uh, biggest size that I play with is, uh, that's going to be open eight point, I'm sorry, uh, rubber 8.5. So eight and a half uh, inches in diameter. And is that more, are we getting just like the traditional gym class size or is it not uh, quite that big or is that a good comparison? Honestly, trying to think. Um, and Jim, I honestly don't remember what Jim class was. I would, I, I would say that's probably about. The you're gym class only, size. you're only 24. How can you forget gym class? You're still a young man. You were in gym class like 12, 12 years ago, man. 
My, I think my main thing is I don't know if we ever actually had dodgeball uh, when I was in school. I don't remember playing it too often. We may have been uh, deprived wow. of that. So, uh, I, again, that is going to change. We are bringing dodgeball back so. to every school in Ohio from this podcast. I love that. Um, okay, so that biggest one though. But then, can you can you still kind of throw that pretty well with one hand? Like, are you gripping that, or is that more like resting in your palm, kind of? Um. So that, yeah. Um. Very good point on that. Some people. It depends, obviously it depends on your hand size and everything. Um, that's clearly the ball type that's going to be the most difficult to grip in one hand. Um, in my case, I don't really have any trouble with it. Um, I'll be perfectly honest uh, with that ball. The first time I picked one up, I was very nervous about playing with it because I didn't really, I did have trouble gripping it. Um, a lot of people also, they use, um, they use tape, you know, some people tape their hands to give them a little more grip, uh, make it easier to throw. I personally don't use any tape at all. But because uh, I, I think I've just I've been just fine uh, without tape or anything like that. So I think um, with that one, uh, I throw it just fine, you know, with an open hand and everything. However, some people will kind of uh, trying to think of a way to describe this. They'll kind of uh, cup the ball between their hand and their wrist. And they'll yeah. uh, they'll just kind of they'll, yeah, they'll throw it that way, kind of like a sidearm type of throw. Um, obviously, that makes it a lot easier to grip. You know, you know, it gives you a lot more um, a lot more of a cushion to hold on to it and everything. Um, but obviously with the, um, with the release time as well, usually most people can throw, uh, they can get the ball off quicker, you know, throwing overhand kind of the more traditional way versus that, versus that sidearm release where you're, you're kind of curling or cradling the ball uh, between your hand and wrist. Matt, at what point in your dodgeball career, uh, as someone who does this a lot, do you get past the point where when someone says you cup the ball between your hand and your wrist, like you can just let that go without mm-hmm. like having a little smirk on your face? Like there's just a lot of ball references in this sport. When do you get to the point where it's like, I get it. Ha ha. I said ball. Cause like I'm smirking <laughs> a little, I can't help it. We're talking about yeah. ball a lot, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like, are you oh, totally cool. past that? Or do you sometimes still, when someone makes a ball reference about cupping a ball, do you sort of like chuckle to yourself? Uh, honestly, no, I've been, I, I got past that a while ago. Uh, just, just because of how long I've been playing, I think, um, yeah. I don't really, you know, it doesn't really, doesn't really affect me at all. Um, I, I just, it's, I apologize. No, it's okay. <laughs> Not you're, a problem. 24, you're 24 and I'm 45 and I'm like, he said balls. <laughs> uh, I apologize. I apologize for that. Okay. Okay. So the, the other thing that I've been wanting to ask you about before we get back to your history on this three hour podcast about dodgeball, can you get hurt? And I guess my first question is, do people hurt their knee ligaments? Do they hurt their Achilles, like diving around on something like this? Or also, does the ball sometimes hit somebody in the face or hit you on your body that it hurts? Uh, absolutely. It happens all the time. Um, unfortunately, injuries are a part of the game. Um, very recently, actually, one of, one, you know, one of the best players in the U.S. actually went down with a, um, you know, end up tearing his ACL um, through the course of a game. Wow. Uh, just, I want to wow. say, six weeks ago. Okay. Um, so that was you know, very unfortunate to see. Okay. Cause I mean, it's a lot of jumping and like quick movement and plant planting, right. And changing direction. That makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. So here you are, you're Matt Levine. You're just a regular guy in Twinsburg, Ohio. How do you get into the dodgeball world? Yeah. So, uh, so my story kind of starts off in, uh, if we go back to 2015, uh, that's where it all starts for me. Uh, I think I want to say I saw a commercial for uh, for Sky Zone Trampoline Park. Are you? Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that place or not. I am familiar. I have been to birthday <laughs> parties there. Oh yeah, it's a good, it's a good, it's a very good spot for birthday parties. Um, yeah. For me, 
in my case, I just kind of, I saw an, uh, an advertisement for it. And I remember uh, kind of texting a couple of friends and saying, you know, Hey, this looks really cool, you know, because, and it, it's crazy because I wasn't really attracted. I don't even think I knew that dodgeball was a thing there. Uh, we yeah. really just went because, you know, my, my first time going was really because, you know, it's a trampoline park and it's indoor and it was, you know, it was winter time. So, you know, I can't really go outside without, you know, getting risking frostbite or anything, obviously. And you can only play in the snow so much. So, you know, I wanted to, I love being active and, uh, you know, the F or the, uh, the opportunity to, you know, jump around on trampolines and all that stuff was very appealing to us. So we, uh, yeah, a bunch of, a bunch of my friends just kind of went up the skies on one day. Um, you know, we checked out a couple of things there. We played, you know, we jumped around the open area. They have a, uh, they have kind of, they have basketball hoops that you can dunk on, you know, you jump off of a trampoline and then dunk on a basketball hoop. They have a foam pit. Um, and dodgeball is actually the last thing we saw because at the one, uh, the one closest to us, uh, dodgeball is in the very back. So we were just kind of making our way through the okay. place, um, you know, through the sky zone and, you know, kind of hitting all the attractions. And I don't know, something about it, just as soon as we got in there, um, as soon as we started playing dodgeball, we just had a lot of fun. And, you know, I want to say that day we probably paid for a two-hour pass. And uh, the last, you know, we, we didn't actually get to dodgeball until we had about an hour left. But that hour just went by so, you know, so fast. And we were just having so much fun. And it, it was just insane how, uh, you know, how excited we were. And, um, you know, that, that's kind of how it started, you know, playing there. We ended up coming to Skies on the very next week, and but this time, you know, we didn't even do anything else. We went straight to Doswell. We played for two hours straight and had a blast. And that's kind of a, uh, that's really what that's really what kicked this stuff off for us. But listen, but listen, people have fun on the weekend all the time. I oh, yeah. I like to miniature golf on the weekend, but I don't pursue a career in professional mm-hmm. miniature golf. How how do you make the leap from weekend dodgeball guy at the trampoline park to like? being on ESPN. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question there. Um, kind of the next, the next step in the whole journey was um, through going there just about every weekend. Um, we eventually, we caught wind of that were, uh, there were tournaments, uh, local tournaments in the area. Okay. So yeah, so we actually, um, and actually crazy because um, in our, in our case, uh, at Sky Zone, it's five on five uh, versus, you know, pretty much every other ball style on the floor or, uh, you know, traditional gym court will be six on six guys almost five on five. And again, you know, we were just, we were having a lot of fun with it. And, you know, we decided to go sign up for this tournament, this local one. And it was crazy because we almost didn't go. We only had, uh, we only had four people up until I want to say probably 20 minutes before we were about to leave. We, we very last second grabbed the fifth person and made our way over there uh, for the tournament. And then kind of everything is, everything since then is history. But uh, we, um, you know, we went up there to go play a tournament, very first tournament, uh, you know, very first Sky Zone uh, experience there, other than just kind of practicing casually. Uh, we didn't know how serious it got because some of the teams there were made of, you know, completely, you know, they were teams that were just comprised of all employees, you know, people that are, they're used to just jumping around and, you know, they're so much more uh, familiar with the trampolines and they, you know, obviously they're a lot more experienced than us. Um, so there were, I want to say there were about 12 teams at this tournament that we played in. Um, the first, you know, first couple games didn't go the best you know, it didn't really go in our favor. We, we did struggle. We had our growing pains and everything. Um, and after they have what they, what typical tournament will have a round robin where you try to, depending on the amount of time you have, you'll try to play hopefully every team there. And then uh, obviously you get a record and then you get seeding off of that. Um, so with the 12 teams, we ended up being the eight seed. And fortunately for us, only the top eight teams made it into elimination. Um, okay. But yeah, mainly because of that, uh, since we were the eight seed, uh, 
you know, that means we're going to play the number one seed, you know, because one plays eight, two plays seven, three plays six, oh, five. Am I, uh, am I getting ready for an underdog story right here? This is dodgeball, oh, a true underdog story? You, you definitely are. <laughs> the eight seed out of nowhere, the eight seed. Okay. Yeah. All right, here we go. <laughs> so, yeah, we had a, uh, we had a losing record in, uh, in, in round robin. I want to say we were four and five. Uh, so again, weren't so we weren't very hot in round robin, and you know a couple teams beat us pretty badly. But then, you know, once we got the bracket play, the very first team we played, um, you know, I know these people now, um, but it turns out they were, you know, that was one of those teams that I mentioned earlier that were uh, all employees. You know, they they basically, you know, they're at Skyzone all the time. So whenever they're not working, you know, maybe after work they they used to get together and just play each other. But you know, that was the very first team we played, and I I want to say in this in this. Uh, for that event, it was usually best out of three. So whoever wins two games first is going to win. Uh, we won that series 2-0. So, you know, we took the, you know, on paper at least, <laughs> yeah. the best team out, you know, right away. You know, Like you said, underdog story right there. Um, and then we went all the way, you know, we beat the, the next team after that. And then we went to the finals. Uh, finals is actually best of five. So instead of uh, instead of winning two out of three, now you have to win three out of five, which puts, you know, means more games. So obviously for us, you know, more fun, more competition, more uh, more dodgeball overall. Uh, so we were all for that. And then, uh, yeah, it was just, I want to say in our case, that was a, that was a series that went all five games. You know, we were, we played, you know, we played another team that was, um, you know, just filled with guys that are, that are, you know, more experienced than we were. Uh, they played, you know, they've been playing longer than us. They have, some of them actually did work at Skyzone as well. So that's, you know, with my team not having any employees at all, uh, that's just kind of, that's just kind of how it turned out. But we took them to five games, and um, you know we ended up winning that. And we were just we were just so excited, you know it was amazing, you know just a fantastic feeling uh, to you know just kind of walk into a tournament being maybe a couple months into this, if that, maybe probably less than two months of playing dodgeball, uh, playing in our very first tournament, we were able to uh, to walk away with it. And like you said, just huge underdog story with uh, you know pretty much upsetting every other team there. That was you All know right. that's that's very fond memory. All right, Matt, shoot me straight here. Don't be modest. Shoot me straight. Yeah. Are you a dodgeball prodigy? Um, uh, <laughs> people, some people around you, the U.S. have said that. <laughs> do you feel that you were born to play dodgeball? Honestly, yeah. At this point, I would I would say so. Just uh, just like, the amount that I'm playing, how much how much enjoyment I'm getting out of it. Like. Of all the, I assume you've played other sports in your life, but is this the sport that just makes the most sense to you? That fits your skill set, fits your brain. Like this is the thing you love. Oh uh, no doubt, absolutely. Dodgeball is number one for me. So so tell me, pick a Cleveland, uh, uh, name a Cleveland athlete that would be good at dodgeball, right? If we're trying to think about like this will help people relate to it, but like uh-huh. would would like. I'm trying to just, I mean, I'm sure I assume you, you know, who, who, who leaps to mind that someone would be like, yeah, that guy's skills would translate well to dodgeball. Honestly. So uh, I want to say some people have kind of brought this up as an example. Um, I know he's not, he's not in Cleveland anymore, but LeBron James is from, you know, he's from Akron, Ohio. He's from kind of the area. Yep. Uh, I think, you know, obviously with, with him being, he's just a physical specimen, you know, he's six foot eight. He's, 270 pounds he's he can run a four or five you know he's just a, this crazy athlete um in his case i don't know what he's i don't know what it would be like for throws or for throw power necessarily i'm sure he can throw the ball pretty well um but obviously there's a lot more to dodgeball uh than just being just being like you know athletically or physically gifted um yeah so i want to say i mean and like i said kind of like i said earlier it's more than just throwing you know a lot of it is 
Right. Throwing is just one one aspect of it. Um, you know, maybe so, I'm trying to think. Really, really, someone that can do it all, honestly, would be uh, would be good at dodgeball. So, what are you best at? What's your thing? Are you a better catcher, thrower, or dodger? <laughs> uh, so, I think I've been I've been polishing my game over the years. I think I like to think I can do it all, but I am definitely known for my throwing. Um, that's probably the number one thing I'm known for in dodgeball. Um, and do is there a rule that if you hit somebody in the face that the thrower is out, or are you allowed to hit the other person in the face? So that's another. Now uh, uh, that, that's a very good question. Now uh, uh, the person that gets hit is out. Um, really? Usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter if you if you hit them anywhere, uh, wherever you get hit, you're out regardless. Um, okay. For me, it's kind of kind of a moral thing. In my case, I I never I never aim for people's faces. Honestly, I can't I can't say the same for most people that do play, uh, because you know if you're if you're looking at things uh, strategically. You throw a ball at someone's face, you're not going to be able to react as quickly as the ball, you know, traveling to maybe your center or just yeah. know, really most other places. That's the hardest place to avoid. Obviously, you can duck, but, you know, there's it's just you're not it's very hard to catch it off of your face as well. So it's kind of a strategic thing. But my main thing is I don't like when people throw at my face, so I don't throw at other people's faces for the most part. That's just uh, me being nice, honestly. But, <laughs> but but we know how it is, but there are guys out there that people know are jerks, right? Though people have reputation absolutely. as reputations as, as face throwers. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And everybody, no everybody, everybody knows what's up with those guys. <laughs> so, so you, yeah, you when you take when you take out a face thrower, you make a nice mm-hmm. like a, a body shot and knock a face thrower out of a game. That's got to feel good. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, it's all about competitive fire. You know, honestly, whenever, whether it's a face or whether it's just, you know, whether it's the best player on the other team, whether it's someone that always has some sort of impact on the game, you know, taking out a big player like that is always, it always feels good. You know, it's always gets you fired up, gets your team fired up. It's, it's, it's awesome, honestly. So how long do the games last? Could it be like, boom, 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 you get six people out and it's over. <laughs> and then also, uh-huh. if you, if you catch a ball, does your team, a teammate get to come back in? Yes. Uh, uh, yes to both. So there are uh, the first question. Some of the games, uh, honestly, at Sky Zone, uh, bef- when they when they had the Sky Zone tournaments, the typical game would be three minutes long, and it ends either if um, if all the players on one of the teams gets out, or if um, if at the end of the three minutes, if you have uh, if you have majority of players, at at that point, it would just kind of uh, they would cut it okay. at the three minute mark. Um, there is a sudden death aspect where if you're, let's say the three minutes is up and each side has one player. Um, the new rule that, that they just added last year for Sky Zone was that uh, they go to, to a no blocking rule where you can't block the ball. You know, so somebody throws at you, obviously in a one-on-one situation, the number one play you're going to go for is to try to block the ball thrown at you. Um, so they, yeah. you know, they make it so you can't do that. Kind of speeds the game up a little bit, you know, uh, up, really raises the probability that a lot that, you know, one of the people that's still in the game is going to get out. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so you, so what was this thing? So, um, it, you know, it's, it's August 8th and I don't know, I tweeted something about the dodgeball thing or somebody else tweeted. I know Mark Pantone, Ohio state's recruiting football recruiting director tweeted that he was watching the dodgeball on ESPN. And then I made oh. a joke because there was a football player who at Ohio state who now plays for the Bengals, Sam Hubbard, who was okay. discovered that it's a famous story that Urban Meyer watched him play j- dodgeball in gym class and was like, I got to get this guy on Ohio State. So then when I, after I tweeted about that, then someone tweeted me 
there's a guy from Twinsburg on ESPN, which is how <laughs> I found you. So what was the thing? Tell me the thing. I You said it was the Continental Cup. Is that what was the thing? What were you doing that was being televised on ESPN? So, yeah, that tournament was – that was the Continental Cup. Uh, the main thing for that tournament was the winner of that would secure their position in uh, for 2020 uh, where they have another tournament that's more than just more than just two teams. You know, that's, that's really the world tournament um, in Cairo, Egypt, actually. So what? for that, <laughs> yeah, it does well can take you some interesting places in the world. It's pretty awesome. So are you going to Egypt? Did you win? Uh, yeah, we ended up, we ended up winning that one. Um, now, now the thing, the main thing is with that, uh, that was just the qualifier. So that team, you know, the team that we brought there is not necessarily going to be the same team that would be brought to Egypt. I'm not sure when exactly tryouts will be held, but they will have tryouts at some point for the U.S. team that they will send out to um, – that will be sent to Europe – I'm sorry, not Europe, uh, Egypt. So that that's a, that team will represent the United States against teams from other nations? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there will be um, – I'm not sure what the exact list of countries – uh, what the exact list of uh, everyone that will be there. But I know, like, you know, Great Britain is – notorious for uh playing actually i don't think i mentioned this ball style uh cloth is the uh is the material for the ball style that we played with in the continental cup but huh. yeah those you know whoever ends up going out there will uh represent the u.s in that tournament so you might be on you're going to try to make the u.s team to go to this event in 2020 in egypt hopefully that's uh that's the goal do you think you'll make it uh it's good question i have to honestly uh like i said again kind of to go back to the ball style uh to kind of go back to that discussion uh cloth is one of the ball styles that i'm i'm very new at um i had i had practiced a little bit but that was um you know that was very early on for me in my stages of playing cloth so i didn't have a lot of work to do but um you know i'd like to I'd like to say i have a chance of making it Wow. I bet you Great Britain, I bet you they're a bunch of face throwers. Don't they sound like a bunch of face throwers, those guys from Great Britain? Um, I, I, can see, listen, I can see it, honestly. Yeah, yeah, Great Britain. So I think if we have someone from Twinsburg representing the United States in a dodgeball tournament in Egypt, I've got to go cover that. Doesn't Cleveland.com have to send me to Egypt with you? I would hope so. That would be, that would be, pretty, uh, that would be pretty amazing to get some, uh, get some exposure on that. I feel like if I'm doing a 35-minute podcast interview with Ohio's best dodgeball player, I must be one of the foremost one of the foremost dodgeball journalists in Ohio right now, right? <laughs> oh, guaranteed, absolutely. Have you ever uh, done a 35-minute interview before? Is this your longest interview about dodgeball, or do you do like two-hour interviews sometimes? Uh, no, actually, this this is probably my longest one. I have a uh, we actually there's another. Uh, we we got interviewed at a, at an event a couple weeks ago, um, but it, you know it was just just a couple minutes, just a couple questions and everything. But um, but yeah, thirty minutes, thirty five minutes, absolutely, definitely longest interview. This is in depth, right? Where we are really, we want people to understand dodgeball. What else do they need to know? We know that you can get hurt. Some people are face throwers. There's five different kinds of balls. Are you uh -huh. on? So that that thing, that list, whatever that list I saw, where it was like these teams from all over the country that had cool logos. It was like 20 yep. different teams from different cities. Are you on one of those teams? Uh, yes, I am. So I uh, what? let's see. The, probably the easiest way. The main thing. So the main league that I play in actually, it's called Elite Dodgeball. Um, and there. They have, yes. you know, they have a, they yes. have a website, they have Facebook, they have Instagram, they have they have all the all the main uh, um, 
you know, social networks available uh, for more information. But uh, Elite Dodgeball is really comprised of four different regions. So that's north, south, east, and west. Okay. Um, and what they do is each region, so there's a total of 12, well, 13 tournaments, uh, 13 events throughout the year. Um, each region has three, they call them rounds. So round one, round two, round three in all four of the regions. And what they do is they'll play with, um, this past year at least, they'll play with two different ball styles. Uh, de- depends on depends on which divisions they have available, but they'll play with primarily that uh, rubber 8.5, and then um, actually I don't think I mentioned it before the seven inch no sting. Uh, I'm not sure why it's called no sting because it, it really stings when it hits you. Uh, especially with <laughs> <laughs> some of the people that they're, uh, so fast. they're lying to you. They're lying oh, in no. the name of the ball. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the ball the the name of the ball is a complete it it's a total lie. They I don't, I'm not okay. sure. I don't know who came up with the name, but honestly, it, it stings when it hits you. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Elite Oswald, what they do is they host, you know, they host some tournaments. Uh, they host these tournaments throughout the year. Uh, I want to say this year it started in. So I, in my case, I play in the East region primarily, and okay. uh, main reason for that is because of the because of my love of no sting. Uh, that's my favorite ball type um, in Oswald. Okay. And they uh, the East region offers that, whereas the North region did not offer no sting. Um, so that was that was my main decision. Again, this is my you could technically I'm technically a rookie in elite dodgeball. Um, I didn't really you know, I didn't I wasn't really involved in it. I had only been playing at Sky Zone exclusively um, for the past you know past couple of years. But this is really my first year getting integrated into everything, into all these tournaments where it's on a gym floor and not just a trampoline. Um, OK, but, yeah, but, but elite dodgeball, they host uh, they host these they host these three rounds of tournaments in the east. Uh, the first one was in March. Uh, second one was in May, and then the third one was at the very end of June. So what okay. they do is, so yeah, so all these, you know, all these teams will sign up, and uh, I want to say in the East, there's probably an average of about about 20 teams or so in the divisions. Um, wow. And for yeah, for men's at least, there, so there's men's, there's a men's division, uh, there's a women's division, and then there's a co-ed division where, uh, there's, you know, there's requirement, there's there are co-ed requirements. Um, okay. But for in, in my case, at least the men's division uh, is called Open 8.5. So that's that's that going back to 8.5 rubber, um, and in that style, uh, that's six on six on the floor. Um, the throw lines are 20 feet away, which uh, <laughs> seems very close when you're uh, when you actually get on the floor. So it's uh, so that's pretty dangerous. And then um, and again, you know, an 8.5 inch rubber ball. I'm not sure how fast most of these people throw. Some people can get that one. You know, some people are probably in the in the 70s with that with that one. Uh, most people would say 60s, but they, you know these balls come flying at you really fast. So what what's the um, name of your team that you play with? Yeah, so I have I'm actually on two teams. So I have so my my open 8.5 team is called Impact, and okay. uh, we're we're comprised of we actually have people kind of all over the U.S. at this point. Um, so we have I'm our only Ohio member left. Uh, one of our guys actually moved down to Florida a couple a uh, couple months ago. But he's okay. still on the team. Uh, so we have so we have uh, representation from Ohio. We have um, we have Florida. We have guys from Pennsylvania, and we also have guys from uh, guys from Connecticut as well. And we're pretty and uh, can pretty I, diverse. Can I get a shirt? Can I get an Impact shirt? Do you have do you have gear uh, or what? Do you have merch? Do you have merch? Do you have merch? Oh yeah, we definitely do. We have uh, we have um, we have jerseys available. I want to say. Uh, Depending on who we go through, um, I don't remember if there. There actually there is a dodgeball website um, that kind of sells some of the jerseys. Uh, sometimes they don't okay. keep the stores open for too long, but uh, these jerseys are available to purchase. You can uh, you can order them so that uh, you can order them so um, you can have your own name and number on it, or you can have you know one of the players' numbers. Ooh. 
uh, which All is right, really so cool imp- as well. So the, your impact, what's your other team? Uh, the other team is actually called Hello. So, uh, so picture, um, trying to think of how to explain. So, <laughs> so, so this is a fun team. Actually, now I now, thought now, it was going to be like the Destroyers or the Gladiators. <laughs> your name is Hello. Okay. Yeah. Well, no. The thing is, though, our our Hello team, our Hello team had a lot of success this year. Um, so that is our that's our co-ed no sting team. So the requirement for that team is, um, you have to have a minimum of two women on the roster. In our case, we have three. So we have uh, we have three women and five males um, on our okay. team, but uh, but the so so the way so picture hello but with a um, picture hello but with a question mark and then an exclamation point after it so think like hello so like something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I love uh, the dodgeball. Love the dodgeball <laughs> oh, yeah. vibe. Um, now this one actually I'm not I'm not sure if you have a uh, I don't know if you have a computer in front of you at the moment but this one I'm pretty sure our store is actually still open for uh, for hello. Oh. Um, if you wanted to see what a jersey looked like. Is that through Elite Dodgeball, or what's the website we're talking about? Uh, So that one, we go through uh, kick – they used to be called Kickball Stuff. I think they're now called KBS. So kbssportsapparel.com actually is where where our jerseys are right now. I'm actually – So we are sending – we are sending our Takes by the Lake listeners to that website to buy your official Matt Levine hello – Hello, <laughs> Jersey. Um, mm-hmm. I want I want people walking the streets. I want to see someone like at an Indians playoff game in a hello jersey that says Levine on the back. Do you have a number? What's your, what's your number? Oh, my number is twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. Okay. All right. So you are what? What do you do when you aren't playing dodgeball? So when I'm not playing dodgeball, I uh, so I have a job. Obviously, I work full time. I work over at uh, NASA Glenn Research Center. I'm a uh, a contract over there. I mean, I'm in a uh, project management role. That's you're like a scientist. Like... What are you? You're a scientist? No, no, I'm not a scientist. Just a, uh, I'm, I'm in like a, I'm in a project management. So I'm on. Uh, I work with. I prime. I'm more on the business side of things, uh, kind yeah. of business and finance side of things. <laughs> so, so you're but, not uh, just some twenty twenty four year old guy, just like sleeping on the couch all day and then getting up and playing dodgeball. You are a productive member of society who also kicks butt in dodgeball in your free time. I like to think so. <laughs> wow, you've got a lot going yeah. on, man. Um, yeah. Was it cool? Was it cool to be on? Was it cool to be on ESPN? Was that exciting? Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, we were. Um, and it's actually it's actually not the first time we were on ESPN. Uh, this this one probably got the most exposure because um, all of e- like I said, all of ESPN social networks they uh, you know they tweeted about it. They had it on their Facebook. They yeah. had it on their Instagram. Millions of people saw it. Obviously, you know, obviously this is why we're on this call right now. But um, yeah, it was it was just amazing being uh, you know, being able to uh, you know, see some of the people I know on TV, see myself on TV, and I actually, I was getting you know, people were tagging me on Facebook, they were sending me texts saying you know, hey, I think I just saw you on TV, uh, you know, people I haven't talked to in years, so that was that was very uh, that was really cool to see. Very very cool. So like so, where did you uh, like where did you go to school or high school or college or whatever? In case people are trying to figure out if they know you. <laughs> So I, uh, I went to I went to uh, Twinsburg High School. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm from Twinsburg. Um, so I, you know, I went there. Uh, I went to stay local there. And then for college, I went to Kent State, which isn't too far either. It's about about a half hour, maybe 35 yeah. minutes away from Twinsburg. Okay. Okay. So if you went yeah. to Twinsburg High School or Kent State with Matt Levine, it's this Matt Levine. It's the dodgeball Matt <laughs> Levine. Um, That's me. Wow. Very exciting. Well, thank you for repping 
Northeast Ohio in the dodgeball world. Uh, it's always cool when uh, when we have somebody local doing this. Do you think I'm, I know I've been I've asked a lot of stupid questions. This is not a stupid question. I'm being serious. Do you think dodgeball should be in the Summer Olympics? Um, I'm very biased, but I would love to see it in the Summer Olympics. I really think there are not even, not just the U.S., but obviously throughout the world, there are a lot of different. Um, there's, there's so much talent. There are a lot of different players, a lot of different skill sets. And I really think, um, again, I'm very biased, but I have a lot of fun, even when I'm not even playing, just watching dodgeball videos, seeing what I can learn about it. It, It's just, it's all so entertaining to me. And, you know, I hope that I kind of hope that people from the outside find it entertaining as well. Um, kind of, you know, some of the people that that have messaged me about what they saw on ESPN, they, you know, they were very entertained in, in, in our case, uh, the match that we played in was very you know, it was a very close match. You know, there was, we were getting absolutely destroyed. You know, Canada had a huge lead on us in the first half, but then the second half, we kind of stormed back. We ended up forcing overtime and it was just, it was a very intense match. And I think that's, you know, just like any other sport, Oswald just has a lot of competition. They have a lot of high flying action, a lot of big plays that happen. And, you know, it offers a lot to both the players and the fans. And I think it's just, it's just an overall great experience. And I would honestly love for it to be a part of the Olympics one day. You know, Canada, they act all nice, but I bet they're a bunch of face throwers too, aren't they? Uh, some of them, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. There, there's some people in Canada that throw fast. Canada, yeah, Canada has a lot of talent. So they're, uh, I could see if Cole yeah. going for the faces there. <laughs> we, we, we're, we, we, under, we get, we, we're watching you, Canada. We're watching you. Matt Levine, if people <laughs> want to know more, what would you mind if people follow you on Twitter? Or would you rather keep that a secret? Uh, I think maybe. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, well, this random podcast guy found me on Twitter. I'm not sure if I want the whole world to find me on Twitter. I want to expose you as much as you want to be exposed, but I also don't want to have a bunch of random, a random people assaulting your social media if you don't want it. No, no, that's totally okay. Uh, my, so for Twitter, I don't really use Twitter too much. Um, I don't really post much on there. I kind of just go on there for entertainment purposes. Uh, my yeah. team does have an – we do have an Instagram account for our team. I don't know if that's I, – I mean, I have a personal account as that's well. That's great. Whatever you want to give out. Yeah. Our, uh, so our, our Instagram for our team is uh, at Impact Dodge. And that's our, uh, so that's I, I-M-P-A-C-T-D-O-D-G-E. Um, you know, that, that's one for, our, for one of our two teams that plays in the East. We don't actually have a, we don't have an Instagram for our other, uh, for the Hello team. But uh, if we do, that's, that's a team that's uh, had a little more success than the Impact team. However, both, you know, both teams, we were we finished in the actually in the top two this year in uh, in both teams, so a lot of success so far okay. in our first right. year. Right. So people go follow that Instagram and Matt. Here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna get everyone in Northeast Ohio wearing your jersey. We're gonna raise the awareness <laughs> of dodgeball in Ohio so that we can have more Ohio-based dodgeball teams, and we're gonna get dodgeball in the Summer Olympics. All right, you and I are gonna start a movement, and we're gonna change the face of dodgeball and the face of Ohio sports as we know it. Are you in? Hey, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm 100% in. Let's do it. All right. This was a good start. I did not know that we were going to do a 48-minute interview about dodgeball, <laughs> but I was thoroughly entertained. I hope the listeners mm-hmm. were too. Uh, I found it very interesting to learn about this, and you are a very fine representative of the dodgeball world. So Matt Levine from Twinsburg, Thank you so much for time, uh, for your time, and for for joining us here on Takes by the Lake. Thanks for having me, Doug. I really appreciate it, and glad to uh, 
that to be able to give a little exposure in the dodgeball world. There's honestly a lot more. Uh, there's really a lot more that I haven't even gotten into, but this is this is like a little preview of everything. Um, it's just there's well, very well, whole new world. <laughs> well, we'll have to do a part two. We'll have to have you back on for part two. We'll see. It's part again. It's part of the movement. It's part of the movement. So this will not be the, the last that we have heard of Matt Levine. So thanks again for your time, Matt. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Doug. And that's it for this takes by the lake. Thanks to Matt Levine. Thanks to Chris Fedor. Thanks to Mike Honcho and everybody else who sent in their dirty names. Uh, Turd Ferguson is like the Norm Macdonald, Burt Reynolds guy, not Will Ferrell. I know that. Um, I need another review. It's like this still, we still have the old review up from February for Takes by the Lake. So if you listen to this show, I don't even care what you write. But the, the first person who puts up a new review for Takes by the Lake, just so it makes us look fresh on iTunes, uh, you can come on. I promise, just like, just, just, just like, tweet me at Doug LaMaurice and say that you were the person who put up the iTunes review and you could come on. We'll talk about the Indians or the Cavs or the Browns or whatever. Um, as, as how desperate I am for a review. Um, read me at cleveland.com and in the Plain Dealer. At Doug LaMaurice is my Twitter. Um, I've been reaching out to a lot of the old favorites that we had um, last summer, last fall, to help preview the Browns. They're going to be coming back on, so we're going to get back to some more heavy uh, Browns preview stuff from people um, who kind of look at the Browns from a different point of view. And I want to get some Indians people on, too, um, some analytics Indians people who can talk to us about um, the Indians in the stretch run here. Because as Chris was saying, you know, it's one thing to dominate the Central. It's another thing to be in a, in a real pennant race. Uh, for September. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So as always, thanks to you guys for uh, joining us here on Takes by the Lake. I'm Doug Maurice, and we'll talk to you next time.